Chemistry Podcast with your host, Paul Orange. Hello and welcome to the Modern Chemistry Podcast. Thank you for joining us for the first episode in our autumn-winter 2022 season. And thanks for finding us. If you are listening to the Modern Chemistry Podcast for the first time, would recommend you go and check out our archive, which is in all the places that you get podcasts, also available on the HEL Group website, helgroup.com. If you're a subscriber, thanks for subscribing and thanks for tuning back in. We start off this run of shows with an interview with Professor Deb Mighty. And Professor Mighty is based at the India Institute of Technology, Bombay. Um, Although it's in Mumbai, it retains the Bombay name. And Professor Mighty works on functionalizing carbon-hydrogen bonds, especially through catalytic methods. As you'll hear in the conversation, he's had stints working at some very prestigious institutes uh, in the US before his current role. And I hope the other thing that comes through is just the sheer enthusiasm that Professor Mighty had for his work, the community of scientists he works with, and in particular, the students that he has working with him on a day-to-day basis. We'll admit we had a couple of audio gremlins, so you might hear some clicks and pops and an occasional dropout of Professor Mighty's end of the conversation, but that does seem to stabilize after a little while. I don't think it influences what he's trying to say or the medium of his message, and um, hopefully my edits to try and fix things aren't too clumsy. So I'll be back at the end to say goodbye, but with no further ado, let's jump straight into the interview. So I'm delighted to welcome to the show today, Professor Deb Maitai. And uh, Professor Maitai is talking to me from the Indian Institute of Technology in Bombay today. So, uh, Professor Maitai, welcome to the show. Hi, Paul. It's a pleasure seeing you and meeting you here. And I'm looking really forward to discuss with you today. Thank you for having me here. More than welcome. And um, look, there's there's some really interesting research that you work on, which I would I would like to get into. Also, um, uh, you know, lots of notes about the things you do that aren't directly, I guess, your research. But um, maybe if we could start just talking a bit about the the IIT itself. I've come to understand a little bit that it's um, you know it's an entity that has multiple sites across India. But uh, maybe you could just talk about the institute and the the kind of things that it's focused on? Sure. So, um, yeah, our institute or my institute is Indian Institute of Technology Bombay, IIT Bombay, we call it. Uh, It is uh, at Mumbai. So the city's name is Mumbai, but the institute name stays as IIT Bombay. Uh, It is uh, indeed, I I would say, perhaps the most prestigious institute in our country uh, as of today. Uh, it has evolved uh, since its uh, you know beginning. Now we have, I think, uh, many departments. In particular, uh, engineering departments are known for uh, bachelor student, bachelor of technology student, and also institute has done significantly well in the field of research and technology over the over the decades now. Now my uh, department is the department of chemistry. It's been. Uh, you know, it's been a wonderful feeling for me to be part of this, um, you know, excellent institute as well as this great department. Uh, my department is having um, approximately 40 faculties and um, about, let's say, 350 PhD students at a 
of course there are 150 and maybe another um, postdoc and um, uh, and the project students also are working with us and uh, this is one of the place i'm very happy to be part of i'm very happy to be dealing uh, with the regular activities of the institute including teaching and main focus undoubtedly is to lead the research group in my department which i'm very proud of and um, mainly we are having a number of phd student and postdoc some project student as well as masters and bachelor students are working with us and this is a really a wonderful place to be and i wish you could visit sometime soon uh, we, we can discuss more in person i would love to and um, i actually should have been with you in person today but um, circumstances were acting against me and i have to say uh, just looking at some of the photos on your group website there seems to be sort of nice lakes and trees in the background so it does look like a wonderful environment to work in in terms of how you got got to where you are so um, I'll, I'll put a link to your uh, group website uh, in the show notes uh, so people can look as well but in just looking back at your career history you actually started off with the IIT doing an MSc and then, you know, went to some very prestigious uh, institutions to do further postdoctoral studies. Maybe you could just talk us a little bit about what it was that caused you to make the choices you did in terms of those institutions and what, you know, really interested you as you went through those different career options. You know, after completing my bachelor from Belur Ramakrishna Mission at uh, Kolkata or near Kolkata I j- did my masters from IIT Bombay as I said I mean of course the same institute where I'm back as faculty mm-hmm. um and it's really a wonderful feeling to be a master student at IIT Bombay and then um it, it was of course um uh, a general tendency at that point and I would say even now um to try to do a phd from a premier institute like iit bombay or if required or if somebody wants usually um you know some of us would go abroad in particular for my case uh, i uh, went to johns hopkins university baltimore uh, maryland usa uh, there i was mainly working on bio inorganic chemistry where we were uh, trying to mimic the enzyme active site Uh, by taking a metal center and designing a ligand around it and trying to see if those metal ligand complexes can carry out synthetic transformation similar to what is known in the enzyme um so after completing my phd in 2008 uh, i then uh, joined uh, the buckwalls group at mit boston Uh, where I was working on organometallic chemistry and catalysis, in particular the cross coupling reactions, which has made Buckwald group famous. Uh, happy to be part of that. Subsequent my training at Sid's uh, lab, I came back to IIT Bombay, and uh, you know I could not be happier to be joining once uh, one of the most prestigious institutes in India. And ever since I'm here, and really happy and proud to be part of this great institute, IIT Bombay. Hmm. So one of the things that I think is very common with most of the guests, if not all of the guests on the show, is that like you, they've had that international experience during their career. And I think in science, that's very common. What do you think that 
you got or people generally get out of that experience of working overseas um, and, and you know working in different labs and and I guess experiencing different cultures to a certain extent. Absolutely, Paul. I mean, I think uh, for me it was particularly um, I, I felt at that point it would be important to see the world outside uh, our country. Although I, I was very sure that I was at the best institute in India and uh, it is really one of the best place to be, which is IIT Bombay. I was doing my master's. But uh, I, I thought it was pretty important to know the world, to see the culture, to see how research is done outside and knowing the contributions made in different institutes, in particular, let's say Johns Hopkins University, where it is known that uh, the institute is uh, perhaps the best in the world in terms of its biological studies, uh, you know, medicine, and any 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 bio-related field, like let, let, it could be bio-organic, bio-inorganic, biochemistry, biophysical, biomedical, any anything related to biological studies. That's the, you know, I would say the number one institute to go, I mean, kind of number one or one of the most prestigious institute to go. So, yeah, it was, it was a, uh, I, I think, a conscious choice uh, to go and join there. That experience and the exposure make a difference when particularly I wanted from the very beginning to career to see uh, or to study in a place where um, you are able to discuss learn the best in the world uh, that makes certainly uh, a difference it gives you confidence that uh, you know you are learning perhaps the right thing perhaps in future you can do the right thing and you can perhaps try to co- contribute to the best of your ability knowing that uh, how things are done. And same way for an um, institute like MIT, it's no secret that again uh, in terms of engineering aspects, mm. in terms of the application, specifically in the, you know, uh, let's say automation, chemistry, that's really, really one of the one of the premier place, I would say. Again, I mean, you know, there are many institutes which are known to be really um, significantly contributing in the dominance, world's dominance in technology, and MIT is definitely one of those. So uh, all those exposures, um, it gives you not only uh, not only the confidence, it, it gives you a motivation to figure out how you want to pan your career out, how how you want to contribute for for let's say greater cause that that could be for. For the future of, let's say, my country, future of the in my present institute. So it's it's overall it was a I, I would say really really important choice. Looking back at it, that uh, I have made those decisions. I could have very well um, do study or let's say my PhD and postdoctoral studies in India. That would have been also fantastic. But at that point of time, I thought um, that I, I would like to see outside world before you know settling down in India in, as an academic. And it's interesting hearing you talk about you know MIT and its engineering and sort of mechanical uh, heritage or prestige because one of the things that sort of struck me looking through your research interests and please correct me if any of this information is is, is wrong or out of date you focus a lot on functionalization and activation of carbon hydrogen bonds but across a, a range of different 
technology types or protocols, I guess. Do you think your time at MIT informed some sort of interest in, look, my end goal is is working on functioning, functionalizing these, these bonds, and I'm kind of agnostic about the best way to do it, so I'm going to explore them all? Or did that just evolve as you were setting your lab up and as your research interests got broader? Yeah, um, of course, um, Paul. I think um, you know I was always having an interest to build up my uh, independent career in a domain which is perhaps a little bit different. It could be inspired, but it is a little bit different from the exposure that I was receiving. Of course, MIT has, or my previous studies uh, that includes at IIT Bombay, uh, at Johns Hopkins University, as well as MIT, it, it has certainly influenced uh, the way I want to do or the topic that I want to choose. But uh, certainly my present lab topic is different than what I have done before. Uh, but it has certainly g- given me the confidence to do well in my chosen field of independent research. And carbon hydrogen bond functionalization is one of the, I would say, one of the most important topics of today's synthetic chemistry because we were, we, along from the stalwarts in the community, uh, contributors from India and, of course, all, all, all. We are uh, able to take the simple molecule and try to or are able to convert it to a complex one. This complex molecule could be you know, your agrochemicals, pharmaceuticals, it could be of high value. Yeah, I mean, you know, uh, it has uh, been impacted uh, by, the, by my previous uh, understanding as well as the knowledge that has been gained over the years. Yeah. Okay, so maybe this is a great time to sort of dig a little bit more deeply into the work yeah. that you're doing. Yeah. So you you spoke there about functionalization of carbon hydrogen bonds and, and like the really broad range of applications that that is lent to. So maybe if you could start off by giving us a, an idea of the, the main areas of focus that you're working on in the lab or maybe the main technologies, if that's more appropriate, that you're looking at. And if we could relate it back to some of the challenges that those synthetic pathways uh, help address. That would be really helpful, I think, for the audience. Yeah, sure. Um, as you know, Paul, um, so organic molecules are having you know many different carbon-hydrogen bonds, any, any given molecule. Let's say, um, you know, if you are looking at toluene or even hexane, simple, simple organic molecule, the simplest possible organic molecules also are having many, many different carbon-hydrogen bonds. So our community of uh, carbon-hydrogen bond functionalization, we together are trying to figure out how can we selectively pick up one of those carbon-hydrogen bonds and functionalize them or convert that carbon-hydrogen bond into a different such as carbon-carbon. By doing so, we are essentially a very simple molecule to more valuable product. And those valuable products, again, as I, as I mentioned, could be life-saving drugs, could be an important materials of interest, could be an agrochemical, pharmaceutical, uh, mm-hmm. perfume molecule. It, the application of this technology is direct or the raw material that is required for these processes are the simplest one and readily available one and the cheapest possible one. So we are essentially looking for a, a way to convert simple molecule into the complex one. Okay. The challenge essentially is 
selectively pick up only one hydrogen bond where multiple carbon hydrogen sites are available. Essentially, that's selective. How can you selectively promote the reaction at one center mm-hmm. without touch? Other centers, other centers are also competitive. Other centers are equally accessible, equally simple, or equally complex. How can you differentiate among different sites? Okay. So, uh, so to speak, let's say I have five fingers in my hand. Um, if these are five different carbon-hydrogen bonds, and if I want to really react at this particular site, how can I react or how can I strategize to get this carbon-hydrogen bond reacted and leaving apart these other four carbon-hydrogen bonds? That's the major challenge. And that's the challenge. Uh, essentially, what happens if you do not have the right catalyst or right way to do it, then you will end up getting reaction over here, 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 here in different quantities. So the reaction is not selected. Essentially, we are trying to strategize. We means we as a community of carbon-hydrogen bond function, and there are many contributors. Again, uh, this is not a job of one research group. Many research groups uh, you know, across the globe are working on this. We are trying to figure out how to do it selectively and efficiently. If you look at nature, biological system, bio, in biological system, things can be done very selectively. Essentially, you take one organic molecule, you get one product in biological system. But doing the same conversion or doing the same reaction in laboratory for a synthetic chemist like us, it's going to be difficult. It's not uh, that we cannot do the reaction. We can do the reaction, perhaps we can overdo the reaction. Most often what happens, we don't get the selectivity. That's the major challenge. So selectively doing the reaction, as I was saying, at one site of your simple organic molecule, that's the challenge mostly we are trying to address. We mean, again, not only just us, part of the community trying to look at and solve this. Again, the benefit is universal, and that is you take a simple molecule, you get a complex one. You convert one to another one without going through many steps. Usually you would see that you know, chemists talk about, let's say, 10 steps reaction, 20 steps reaction, or 5 steps reaction. Uh, the beauty of the carbon-hydrogen bond functionalization reactions are uh, you are looking at maybe one step, sometimes two or three steps maximum. Okay? That's the beauty of it. But very simply, very quickly, you will be able to get the product. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. And... I mean, you've mentioned, and is again, it's it's on your website about bio-inspired catalysis, and that was a, a topic you mentioned there. So, biological enzymes have evolved over the millions of years that organisms have been alive. Enzyme engineering is more prevalent these days, but it's still it's not a simple task. And you probably need to start with something that, to use your hand analogy, is at least attaching to the right finger in the first place. How do you take that inspiration from those complex catalytic molecules, which are usually fairly big proteins, you know, and then turn them into a a simpler and, as you said, more more efficient, more effective chemical process, or you know, maybe a, a catalyst that you use in the process? Sure, um, as as you have rightly put, I mean, you know, enzymes have evolved over uh, you know over time i mean you know time immemorial right yeah um so 
it has got all its time to do the right thing at the right time and the right amount right uh, there is no selectivity problem as, as you were mentioning the way usually enzymes are doing the chemistry simply is it has an active site where the chemistry will happen okay um you know it, it could be usually let's say metal center the active site where the reaction will happen but the selectivity is really achieved by the fact that you place your organic substrate in front of this active site very perfectly let's say this is the orientation it's not mm. any other orientation okay only one orientation you are able to bring your organic substrate with respect to your active site and for placing your organic substrate in front of your active site you have multiple effect as you are mentioning paul like you, you have a hydrogen bonding you have electrostatic interaction ch pi interaction all sorts of weak interaction you can you can bring in or the enzyme or the nature mother nature has bring in all sorts of interactions weak weak interaction like hundreds of or thousands of weak interactions uh made it possible that organic substrate comes in a particular orientation and there is no uh, no movement of that orientation it's, it's something in the in the literature known as lock and key you have one lock and one key a perfect key for your lock right our lock our house lock doesn't open or the locker's lock doesn't open with a different key so that's been perfected in in biological system okay uh over you know centuries you know billions of years uh, we don't know how long it took now um, that's going to be very difficult for any chemist because what essentially we are trying to deal with is we have an active site just like enzyme just like enzyme but we don't have a control on the substrate substrate can have degrees of freedom substrate can rotate upside down it can go any way it wants it, it it can it can basically wander around the active site right uh, how to really essentially fix this substrate orientation that's essentially we are trying to design again we mm-hmm. we mean we as a community so what we are trying to do is uh, most often that we are trying to change the active site or the metal center in such a way so that this metal center somehow or you know it could be again hydrogen bonding some sort of electrostatic interaction some sort of weak interaction or sometimes even the covalent interaction in some way we are trying to figure out that it is this orientation is fixed or locked okay it's locked orienting that or ensuring that that locked configuration we are getting a lot of design that we need to do okay so that's essentially we again along with the community members we are trying to have there are different strategies one is taking again one strategy could be covalent approach where you are trying to link covalently with your active site and your organic substrate other way could be again learning from nature that there is weak interaction now can we try to bring those weak interactions such as hydrogen bonding electrostatic interaction ch pi or pi pi interaction these sort of interaction now these are never going to be perfect just like enzyme 
enzyme again has put many weaker interaction put together just like hydrogen bonding many hydrogen bonding makes it stronger just like in water water is liquid thanks to the many hydrogen bonding that it can have if it is one or two it's not going to be you know in liquid form similarly i mean you know enzyme is able to do it very very effectively but we as synthetic chemist we are trying to take one of those tool and trying to see if we can have it as effective perhaps as effective as nature of course again it's, it's a long task it's not mm-hmm. not easy never easy the efficiency and selectivity as we get from nature it's not easy to achieve that very easily but if we can take even baby steps at this point i mean you know over the time or when when this overall activity has started from there we as a community now have made significant progress and it is going to be a, a tremendous job going ahead for those of us who are active now or might will be you know, in the for the future generation to take this forward and try to see if we can really mimic nature you know the way nature is doing can we can we do that yeah so that's 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 really exciting i mean you know you, you can never do it perfectly but uh, attempting to do it trying to achieve what nature is able to do i think that's exciting i mean you know that's what the fun is and getting some exciting results along the way makes makes things really exciting for all of us yeah yeah and when you talk about that mechanism of trying to evolve the structure of that metal center and the interactions around it i'm curious how much of that relies on lab work to actually design something new and see whether it works versus working on a computer or just sitting at a desk you know sketching things out what's that what's that mix look like for you yeah well uh, it's it's, uh, it's never an easy task to really design it perfectly a um, mm. lot of i would say a uh, lot of efforts goes into this is where the brilliance of our students uh, come mm. into picture their visualization and uh, their their way of thinking way of doing things how they how they try to approach the problem is critical uh, i must say that lot of our design initial design i would say is not going to be successful i we know that but no matter what uh, we we try to carry that out even if we know that things may not work out potentially and that's where the dedication and, and again the brilliance and the focus of the students comes into picture they are the one they are trying to design of course you know in consultation with with me um, of course they are trying to design how to how to go about the thing perhaps it would be great to have the computational studies along the way so you compute the structure beforehand then predict what would be mm-hmm. perhaps the net outcome but yeah yes certainly we do collaborate with uh, you know inside the department we have some great colleagues um, you know including professor snow's group of the rajaraman group we, we do collaborate we do have excellent results uh, before and we are co- continuously collaborating but um you know it, it is not that always it is feasible i think mm-hmm. it, it has to be the combination of both sometimes uh, our collaborators are able to predict absolutely brilliant things sometimes it is also the idea of my students who after understanding how things work uh, they start predicting without taking the help of like a computational studies they go on predicting by themselves and then try to try to uh, kind of um, figure out that things are indeed ho- happening i, I think it, it it occurs both the way sometimes we take the help of uh, the computational input first and then go about designing sometimes also 
we we do the things first based on our intuition based on our experiences and expectations and then we try to take the help of our computational colleagues to understand it better to make further future predictions so i mean you know sometimes it's it's kind of uh, you know the egg chicken egg and chicken problem right um, yeah. we, we try to do both ways mm-hmm. and we are very happy that uh, we have really great collaboration both inside the department as well as outside the department even across the countries we are able to um, do the collaboration to to make sure that uh, the studies that we do are meaningful and important in the context of the present understanding Thank you. So it's clear there's a lot of experimental chemistry involved in this, however, however it happens. So two other things that you mentioned on um, on your website, look at photocatalytic and electrochemical approaches. It kind of strikes me as interesting because they can be, in theory, more targeted because, you know, you don't have the right light source or you don't apply the, the electrical charge correctly. How, how do those approaches sort of complement, you know, some of the other stuff that you've been talking about yeah actually, i mean you know at the beginning or right now what we are trying to do essentially is um, you know if we if we can do some of the let's say carbon hydrogen bond functionalization reaction in presence of light uh, one of the drawback of of the reaction that we we and you know again uh, the community are trying to do is we need to uh, reoxidize uh, the catalyst at the end of the catalytic cycle you know as you mm-hmm. recall there are multiple steps in the catalytic cycle uh, in the last step of the catalytic cycle we need to oxidize the metal center to get back the catalytic catalytically competent intermediate now that step usually um, we are using very expensive as well as i would say hazardous oxidant such as silver salt you know, mm-hmm. silver nitrate, silver acetate, and we are using its stoichiometric amount, like super stoichiometric amount, often three equivalent, four equivalent. That is, uh, of course, uh, not really industrially viable. That's that's a process which is definitely not something industry is looking forward to use. If we are using really, I mean, a lot of silver salt to just oxidize the metal center, and this is particularly where. We initially thought that in our research activity, we would like to bring the photochemistry part, where uh, you know photocatalyst in combination with let's say air will oxidize palladium, or let's say in, in our chemistry we use a lot of palladium or any metal center uh, from its lower oxidation state to a higher oxidation state to complete the catalytic cycle. So it was more of a mechanistic driven. Uh, input like we wanted to make sure that we are interfering or we are improving one of the critical steps by utilizing either photochemistry mm-hmm. or electrochemistry. That's one of the key steps. Another key step, as I was trying to tell you also, is the activation of the carbon-hydrogen bond because carbon-hydrogen bond as such are very inert. Right. Let's say methane. Methane to methanol is really one of the most difficult conversion. Right. If if one, anyone has a very good catalyst which can convert methane into methanol, I, I think we are talking about a game-changing reactions. Right. Mm-hmm. Of course, people can do it, but doing it in industrial scale at an efficiency where literally methane is converted into methanol and industry starts selling methanol from that process, that would be revolutionary. 
revolutionizing, mm-hmm. right? Just like, you know, ammonia production, nitrogen plus hydrogen put together, you, you got the Heber process of ammonia production. That's a revolutionary reaction. Uh, when it was done catalytically, it had changed almost all the synthetic field, right? Similarly, if we can do the carbon-hydrogen bond activation of methane to methanol, that's, that's pretty fantastic. But the problem is that activation is very difficult. It requires a high energy, and the polarity, of course, doesn't help you in any way. So overall, that step itself, the activation of the carbon-hydrogen bond, is requiring high energy, and this is particularly where, again, the electrochemistry or photochemistry can perhaps help. For example, if photochemistry-wise, if the molecule or the, or the catalyst can be activated by using, using the light, and then we are able to get the activated pieces into the reaction, that perhaps would require less thermal energy, because part of the activation has been done with the form of light, right? Uh, so we may not, in the, the reaction, let's say, which was taking, let's say, 120 degrees centigrade or 150 degrees centigrade, perhaps we can do that at room temperature in combination with light. So this strategy was really important to have in terms of what we were doing. Again, of course, we are, we are, we are trying to bring the electrochemistry and photochemistry input into the carbon-hydrogen bond functionalization reaction. Uh, that's where the first step as well as the last step, which is the most difficult step of, of our catalytic cycle we are trying to influence. But uh, otherwise, also, we are uh, working on a number of problems which require photo energy or uh, you know, mm-hmm. photons. And also, in a, you know, strategically, uh, we are trying to also use the electrosynthetic procedure to make sure that uh, we are taking the advantage of each of those domains. You spoke there about if we could do the methane to methanol conversion, that would be great. Are, are there particular reactions or end products that you're focusing on trying to improve? Well, yeah, I mean, of course, we have a number of target molecules, a number of mm. drugs, let's say pharmaceuticals, basically, essentially. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we want to synthesize, if possible, for example, in one step. Yes, we have uh, a number of targets that we are working on, mm. and we have achieved quite a few as well, where uh, essentially, let's say, uh, it previously it was requiring five steps, we can do it in one step. Right. Mm-hmm. There are there are a number of targets and we are in constant uh, interaction with with different industries who are dealing with these target molecule or drug preparation or agrochemical yeah. preparation. It has in a way um, changed the retrosynthetic analysis, the carbon hydrogen bond functionalization essentially changed mm-hmm. the way we think about preparing the molecule. Previously, it used to be that we have to go in a linear step-wise manner. We have to have, let's say, five steps, 10 steps, 20 steps. Now you can cut down at least some of those steps. So a 20-step mm-hmm. reaction can be made maybe 15 steps, 17 steps, okay? So that, I would say, the exciting part of this. Yes, again, to coming back to your question, mm-hmm. um, whether we are looking at uh, any target molecule, there are plenty of target molecules. Um, again, not only one particular target we work on, we, we try to try to take uh, a variety of targets. So we, 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 we try to have uh, a motif that would be successful, let's say. Let's say if, right. if there is a phenol motif. Now, if, if, a dr- if, a, if a drug or pharmaceuticals as well as agrochemical is based on phenol, then we try to see, we, we try to develop a method 
वर्कॉन्फिनॉल और टॉलोइन और लेट्स से बेंजोइक एसिड सम सम मॉलिक्यूल व्हिच इज सिंपल मॉलिक्यूल रेडली अवेलेबल एंड देन वी ट्राई टू सी इफ दिस मेथड इज कनेक्टिंग टू सम ड्रग मॉलिक्यूल प्रिपरेशन और एग्रोकेमिकल प्रिपरेशन सो इन दैट सेंस वी हैव न्यूमरस टारगेट्स ऑलरेडी अचीव्ड and we are also looking forward for other other many other target that that we are working both with industry as well as the different funding agencies yeah at, at this point we are really very excited uh, to solve some of these problems i i know that you have a very busy agenda so if if i could just ask you two final questions that would be great so first one is imagine that i've got the power to give you a magic wand and you can have like a piece of equipment or uh, you know some reagents that will make your research easier what would your wish be for this magical piece of <laughs> piece of support for your lab oh yeah i mean you know i would like to have uh, uh, let's say i mean as, as you would know uh, this is uh, research is, is very intensive in terms of resources right if you can have some automated instrument which mm-hmm. can help my students and you know help our research activity so automation i i would say is something i would be very happy to you know adopt or happy to have in our lab for example mm-hmm. if it's robotics in, in a powerful robotics which essentially gives me an opportunity to carry out reactions which are uh, not possible to do in a multiple numbers and can be done in 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 multiple numbers in a day or two let's say i i want to do i want i have a n number of hypotheses i want to test it by two days usually it would take may, maybe let's say one year for a phd student or a research scholar mm. to work on if i can get it done in two days or three days by by taking the advantage of technology let's say automation that would be fantastic right so we are looking forward to that magic wand which can which can empower us and solve some of the problems that we are facing it could be also in that way like automation in the way the speed by which we can do do the things hmm. another thing could be also maybe the prediction let's say um, so nowadays uh, you you must be seeing that machine learning is coming into the picture uh, so the prediction at a higher level where um the reaction outcome without doing it can be visualized beforehand and thereby i may not need to do 100 reactions maybe one reaction only i do just to verify the machine uh, predicted outcome right yeah. so that would be fantastic so both again automation is one thing i would really love to have uh, in in our lab in more more than ever before and also high level of prediction in terms of let's say machine learning would be would be really really uh, useful for our research here right well uh, if i get that magic wand sorted out I'll, i'll send it over to you or at least the wish um and then the final question i'd like like to ask is you know so again i was just sort of looking through your website and some research you know you have um i've written down in my notes here lots of adjunct and visiting positions lots of editorial advisory roles uh, lots of honors and awards and i didn't even mention the collaboration and 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 the one thing that comes through from hearing you talk is you know you're clearly super passionate about this so you know what is it that sustains your passion and your enthusiasm for this work because you know it's it's clear it's really clear 
Thank you, thank you for. Well, uh, I think uh, you know, part of the thing is uh, in this profession, uh, we we get to get to stay and interact with the youngest possible minds and the smartest possible minds, and this is where again I, I would come back to my department and my institute. I'm really thankful for having uh, such a such a uh, you know interactive atmosphere, such a brilliant atmosphere where we are able to perhaps bring the best of the minds across the country at least. We are given an atmosphere, given a situation where we can always stay young, uh, no matter how yeah. how much we are aging. I mean, you know, the students, the and and their brilliance uh, is mind mind blowing, breathtaking, right? So that I I think is the most exciting part of of our journey, uh, dealing with the students who are motivated, they want to make a change, and uh, you know, I got to just direct them. I I got to you know organize them. I got to discuss with them. I got to share my experience. Essentially, that that's the part perhaps they are missing, but uh, keeping up with them, learning from them, and uh, you know, organizing things with them, I, I think that's that's the most exciting part of of my uh, journey. And in addition to that, of course, uh, my you know, it, it's all, uh, if if you are a um, independent researcher, you need to have certain academic ambition that you want to solve something, you want to mm-hmm. contribute. Uh, for the mankind, let's say, so to speak, if you can. I mean, you know, of, of course, all of us want to contribute in some sense or the other. We are, each of us are contributing on, on, on this art in some positive way, constructive way. Um, you know, science has its limitations as well. But uh, within those limitations of things, because, you know, everybody's lifetime is limited, everybody's, you know, research funding is limited, you know, everything is limited. But within that limitation, uh, if we can do something meaningful, uh, positive, constructive, perhaps, uh, perhaps something to remember by when we will be gone, and um, I think that's that's exciting. And try to try to do something, uh, something positive for the society. Again, it's it's very difficult to say for a chemist or for a physicist, for a biologist to say that they will be contributing in a great way, uh, you know, for the mankind, that's difficult, understandable, difficult. It takes it takes a lot of effort and the contribution at the end may be very, very little, but that little means something. That little must be exciting. So that's, that's again, um, as I was trying to discuss, if I can really make the molecules, which are life-saving drugs, mm. by simplest possible way, I would say, yeah, I mean, you know, that, that's exciting. At the end, we might not be able to save a life directly. We are not the real doctors, you know, who are dealing with, you know, the difficulties of humans or, you know, other living species. But uh, we might be able to give some tools, some opportunity, perhaps to influence and make some people's life a little bit better. I, I think that's, that's the exciting part of it. And along with it, of course, uh, you, you got to enjoy your life. You got to take care of things around you, mm-hmm. and you, you got to do all the all the positive things in and around you. And you know, I, I would say if we are able to do that, we are really happy about that. Yeah, I think that's a very great sentiment. Um, and uh, Dev, Professor Mighty, thank you very much for joining us on the show today. It's been great having you on. Thank you. Thank you very much, Paul. Thanks very much for sticking with us all the way through to the end of that interview. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. And thanks for subscribing to the Modern Chemistry Podcast. If this is the first show that you've listened to, please do go back and check out our archive. That's available on all the podcast apps, as well as through the HEL Group website, which is helgroup.com.
Our next show is already recorded and we focus on battery pack design, especially for electric vehicles. So if that's something that interests you, strongly recommend that you hit that subscribe button and it will drop into your podcast feed next time as soon as it's ready. As always, we're on the lookout for guests. So if you feel there's anyone that we should have on the show, or if you feel you'd be good on the show, drop us a line. Details and contact information are in the show notes. Until the next show, I hope you all stay safe and well. I'll catch you next time on the Modern Chemistry Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Modern Chemistry Podcast. Our theme music is provided by Kevin McLeod under a Creative Commons license. And if you subscribe to the show, you'll have the next episode drop straight into your podcast feed.